How many of you here this morning are excited that fall is here? Half of you? Good. That's more. All right. How many of you are lamenting the fact that the weather's about to get colder? Is there anybody in this room? A few of us? Yes. I, I live in both camps, and I kind of go back and forth, but sitting outside this week, and granted, this week, it might be a little bit of an exception. Let's go back a week ago, right? Summer's having mental lapses or something. I'm not sure. It's hanging on for dear life, but I'm sitting outside a week ago, and I just can't believe it. The fall has made it, that it's this time of year already, and I just think, where did summer go? How did we get here? It seemed like it just turned over the seasons in 24 hours, and then summer came back, and I'm enjoying the heat, although it sounds like it's on its way out as well. But I just began to get excited, and I know we have these two different postures that we kind of walk through as we think about fall, right? The one is we've got the Eeyores, and maybe some of us are Eeyores, and we just kind of walk around and, and, you know, Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, if you, if you will, and we just think... Oh, man, here comes fall, gonna have to put on a sweater, even Andy's not gonna be able to wear flip-flops anymore, right? It just gets kind of rough, and on the other hand, some of you, I mean, just even walking out of here last week, and we talked about this season that we're entering in as a church about being the church Right? Some of you just were so excited. I was the Connect Here person who came up and said, tell me more. How can I get registered? Right? How can I get plugged in? I want to be in a small group. All these things happen. And, and as I was thinking about all this, I've been taking all this in, and it just got me thinking how much we have to be excited about these days. We have plenty to be excited about with fall, and the weather's going to change, and the leaves, and it'll get beautiful. Right? But the fall is just exciting. How many of you were excited yesterday with the beginning of the football season? Right? I took one look at my Facebook feed, and I could see, all I could see were Hawkeye fans, which is a little disturbing to me, but uh, it was good. We have a lot to celebrate, right, even as a Hawkeye or a Cyclone. I actually was a Panther by uh, my alma mater, so I was a little sad yesterday, but I'm also a Cyclone. It was exciting. There was energy that was going on. It just got me thinking about how exciting this fall can be, and I see it all around. I see it in my own house. Maybe you don't know this, but September is a birthday month in the Hermanson house. It seems like every once in a while we have birthdays that are kind of piled in one month. And we have two birthdays in my house uh, in September. We have soon to be four and soon to be seven. Three. Three, sorry. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting that wrong. It's, yes, okay. Whatever. We're going to celebrate a birthday in a couple weeks. I'll figure that out when we get to it. (laughs) Like I said, it's really exciting around the Hermanson house these days, right? And it was just fascinating to see this go on in my, in my house this week as we were, uh, my seven-year-old, I'm getting that one right, thank you, Heather, I married well, keeps me on my toes. And with any birthday party come the presents, right? And we're beginning to hand out the presents and we're, we're at the age where we're still, I think we can still slide in presents that the kids really, they like but they really need as well. I don't know about you, growing up, every time I unwrap clothes, I would just look at my mom and I'd roll my eyes and I'd say, clothes? You really have to do that? This, this time, though, we're trying to really get uh, G's room, Gwen's room set up for homework. And so we thought, you know what would be great? If we gave her own space to do homework. So we gave her a desk, right? Nothing says we love you more than a desk, right? She loved it. But the thing I love, and my wife has been teaching me a lot about this, is that when you give gifts, it's one thing to give a big gift 
but there's something fun about being able to open gift after gift after gift. And they don't all have to be huge. You don't have to break the bank by this by any means, but there's something about a love language that we have, some of us have especially, where we love to give gifts and receive gifts. And so my wife, we didn't just get this desk, we got her a chair, right? Makes sense. Again, like, whoa, go crazy, right? But we got her this chair, and she loved that too. But we still had a couple more gifts. My daughter, she has all of these markers and all these pens and all these things, and her friends have been giving her more and more, and so we got her a, a lazy Susan to put all of her stuff in. And as if that wasn't enough, this is how amazing of a parents we are, we got her a clipboard so she can walk around and take notes about all the things we're doing wrong as parents. So, <laughs> no, we did get her a clipboard because she loves to sit in a chair and draw. And we're unwrapping these things. Gee, it's her birthday. She's unwrapping them. And she's excited. She's loving it. But what blows my mind is my son, Callan, who is five, got that one right, <laughs> is sitting in the room and he can't contain himself. He sees the desk and he's excited. He sees the chair. He sees the lazy Susan. And she unwraps the clipboard and he just looks at everybody and just goes, this is the best day ever. <laughs> and the place went nuts. And I just thought, we have so much to be excited about. If a five-year-old gets that excited about office furniture, <laughs> how much more do you and I have to be excited about? I'm just going to stop using this mic before I hurt somebody. Is that okay? Okay. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> but it's true. We have so much to be excited for, not just the football teams, not just the leaves turning colors, not just kids getting older and getting to celebrate birthdays, but we get to celebrate, and that's what we do here every weekend, the love of God. And I walked out of here thinking that exact same way last week when John kind of walked us through what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a church who's going to work hard to be the church? Not just to go back to our ideas of what a church should be or what makes us feel good, but to go back to scripture and to dive into this understanding. What is the gospel, right? What do the scriptures say about who we are and how do we live out of here? And again, as I talked to you, some of you last week, you're not content living a life that's an eight or a nine or even a 10. This is what I love about Hope Des Moines. You're ready for an 11, and you want to get after it. And I think that that's awesome. I think that's something worth celebrating, taking life with Jesus to an 11. I think that's God's plan. I think that's God's desire for us. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to go on this journey this fall about being the church and actually trying to live that out, then there's some questions that we got to wrestle with. In fact, there are some things that we need to take a look at, and that's where I want to dive in today. We've got to wrestle with this question, and you may not think about it when I throw it in front of you. It may not make a lot of sense, but let me explain where I'm going with this. The question that I think we need to wrestle with is, where's your heart? Where is your heart these days? You can change it up a little bit. You can say, how is your heart? How are you doing? How are the things going in your life? How are the things that you're a part of? How are they going? But what are you feeling on the inside? The easiest way for me to think about this, this language has been really helpful, has to been to understand as human beings, we have two stages. We have a front stage and we have a backstage. Everybody say front stage. Front stage. And we have a backstage. Everybody say backstage. backstage. The front stage is the part that you see, right? You show up to worship here. We've got a beautiful 
front stage. We've got the lights, we've got the music, we've got the screens, we've got everything. We've got a really great space. Talking about things to be excited about, we have a church building. We didn't have this a year ago. You ever think about that? Right? The front stage is the part that's visible. It's where other people see. They get to see our life. And by that, they can make assumptions or at least begin to get ideas about what's going on backstage. Backstage is the part where it's what's going on inside of us. It's the part that people can't see. It's the things like our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. The stuff that we struggle with, the stuff that we wrestle with. We've got a front stage that offers ourselves to the world. We've got the backstage that makes it all happen. And here's the thing you need to know this morning about your front stage and your backstage is that they're connected. Eventually, if we don't take care of our backstage, and part of living in a fallen, broken world as a human being is to understand this backstage that we have, it's dark. It's messy. It's clunky. It's not all ordered. Nobody has it all together. Yeah, we can put on a great show on the front stage. But at some point, at some time, the backstage catches up with us, and that's exactly what happens. If these guys back here in the booth, and we have a backstage back here, which is not very messy. We do a good job keeping that clean. But at Hope Des Moines, to take the analogy, we kind of have the backstage over here. If these, if these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, you're going to notice. My sermon isn't going to be very great if I don't have the visuals, if I'm, you can't hear me, all of those kinds of things. They're connected, and if we don't tend to this backstage, if we don't take care of our hearts, then things are eventually going to fall apart. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're walking in with that this morning. So I want to ask you again, because I love you, as a brother, or if you're my sister in Christ this morning, how is your heart? We are so excited about being the church. But to be the church begins with us. And some of us hear these questions, we hear this talk, and we, there's a couple different reactions we have. Some of us are excited. We, love, we are so excited that we get to sit around and talk about our feelings and how things are going and talk, 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 talk. And others of us are freaked out. Because maybe you grew up in a family where this wasn't talked about. Maybe nobody's ever given you the tools to be able to understand or to navigate, to even begin to describe what the backstage looks like. I can recall growing up in my own family. I don't have time for that mushy stuff. I can tell some of you are thinking that here this morning. I don't have time for the mushy stuff. But the truth is, yes. Yes, you do. Because if you want to understand one of the first things about what it means to be human, you have to understand that your heart and what God is doing with it and how it's living and what it's believing and how it's processing life is essential. It's a big deal to God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And that's the NLT, and I think that's super helpful. But this week, I looked at this in the message, which is a paraphrase of Scripture, and this is what I had to say, and I would love to read this with you together. Here's what it says. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts begins. It's where life starts. It's where life begins. And because of that, God loves to talk about it. Over a thousand times, the Greek or Hebrew words for heart show up in scripture. It's the most prolific anthropological term. It's a term that's used to describe us or who we are in the concept. 
right? Your heart is the center of human activity. As goes the heart, so goes your life. So again, I want to ask you this morning, how is your heart? Maybe you're looking for some words, some, some understanding to be able to really answer that question. Here's one that hit me this week. The fruits of the Spirit. God promises us, if His Holy Spirit is in us, and He does promise that, if we call on the name of Jesus, that this is the kind of fruit the Spirit will produce. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those words that the people around you would use to describe you this week? Or is that just a far-off dream? If you are, then maybe the Spirit is doing good. Maybe your heart is in a good place. If, you, if you're not experiencing those things, then maybe you're in the boat that I was in this week. And I just kind of had the understanding and the realization this week that maybe God has a little bit more work to do. As, we were, as I was talking about earlier, we, we have some birthdays in September in our house. And part of that isn't just getting the gifts and isn't just getting them wrapped, but it's throwing the birthday party. We had a birthday party yesterday uh, for Gwyneth, our seven-year-old. Uh, and it wasn't just any kind of a party. It was an American Girl doll party. All right, look at me. Do I look like the kind of guy that knows how to plan and execute an American Girl doll party. Absolutely not. Again, that's why I married up. <laughs> Heather's all over it. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I know that I can help with this. I'm trying to figure out how. And so I just kind of ask her, I'm almost on my way up to bed. It's like 10 o'clock and I'm just realizing, man, I really need to get some sleep. But I think, you know what, I'll just, I'll just throw the question out. How can I help you to get some good husband points? And then I'll just head off to bed. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe she'll just have a quick task that I can do and just take five minutes. Does anybody in this room know what tool is? No, I'm not talking about a hammer. I'm talking about this fabric that is impossible to cut and is impossible to handle. She says, oh yeah, we just gotta cut this tool. And I'm thinking, oh, this is no big deal, until she pulls out the bag of six rolls that are like 20 feet long. And she says, we need to cut this into 12 inch sections. Oh, I don't know what you guys would do in that scenario, but I looked at that and I freaked out and I just said, are you kidding? This is gonna take hours. It's going to take hours to do all this. And if I'm honest with myself, my heart in that moment, by the way, it took like 20 minutes because <laughs> she knew what she was doing and I had no clue. The point is this. What was going on in my heart in that moment is I was even trying to work out this act of love was the fact that my heart was experiencing something other than what God originally designed it to do. In fact, it could not be more opposite from what God has planned for us. Psalm 112, verse 7, describes us, those who trust in the Lord, who are God's faithful people. They describes it as this. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. When I look about what was going on in my heart in that moment, right? I was more concerned about me and what I need rather than how I could help. I thought there's no way there's going to be enough time to do this job and to get enough sleep. And the reality is in my life, and maybe it's just me here this morning, but when I look at my life, when I see the scriptures and what they promise, what God says, this fruit that will be produced in my life by the Holy Spirit, but then I see what actually enters into my heart and what works its way out into the way that I treat people, in the way that I conduct myself, there's this gap 
that shows up. Not all the time. I think God's at work in me, and he has been for a long time, and praise God he's not done yet. But there's this gap between the backstage and the front stage. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one. How's your heart this morning? I don't just want you to think about that as an individual, but I want to have you connect with others today. We do this thing around here every once in a while at Hope Des Moines. It's called community time. And the idea behind it is this. If you come to church and you want to stay anonymous, you can play it safe. You can, you can do that. But if you come and you're here this morning and you're longing to connect in community, that's part of God's design for you. And sometimes we can find ourselves coming to church for a long time, being a part of a Christian community for a long time, and still nobody knows us. Life is too short not to be known and not to be known well. So we're going to do this thing called community time. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes, so don't hog the whole conversation. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a person you know or you don't know. It's challenged by choice here today. You can play it safe. If you need to go to the restroom conveniently right now, do it. That's fine. <laughs> but your name or the donut holes, I recommend them as well. Name how long you've been a part of Hope Des Moines, and I want you to begin to answer this question. How's your heart? And if you need categories or ways to talk about this, here's two ways to do it. One, what's been a source of joy for you? What's that doing to your heart? What's been a source of stress? Where's that coming from? All right, you got two minutes on your marks. Get set, go. But here's the thing. When we talk about the joys in our life, we talk about the stresses, we talk about what's going on in our hearts, there's no shortage of things to talk about. All of us have something that's going on, and it, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether we're flustered or whether you know, we feel like life is easy, we know that at some point we're going to be jumping around the question, and it demands us to constantly be asking this question. This is part of what it means, I think, to continue to grow in maturity and faith, is to ask, how is my heart? And not just to ask the question, but to actually share what's going on with another human being. It is astounding to me how often I talk to people and they're struggling, they're searching, they're trying to figure God, what God's saying to them or next step. And I just think, well, if you talk this over with anybody besides a pastor, what about your closest friends? And it's like, oh, we can't talk about this kind of stuff. And I just say, why not? Because the, the reality is that you and I are in the same boat, whether we know it or not. There are four different realities. There are universal, there are common experiences, realities, understanding when it comes to our hearts that we're all experiencing the same thing. I just want to walk through these quick and begin to give you a sense of where your heart is at and how to understand it and what we need, what Jesus is trying to say to us this morning through our gospel text as we begin to get down to the bottom of this. Because, again, if we're going to be the church then we have to know where our heart's at and allow God to begin working in them. Reality number one is that you and I were created to be deeply connected to God. Have you ever experienced that? There's something about God that's like nothing else in our life. right? We have uh, this longing that belongs to us, this longing that's been wired in us from the very depths of our soul. At the very beginning when God fashioned us, he desired us and created us to be in relationship with him. And to make the point this morning, to kind of talk about the struggle, I brought, you know, the finest piece of furniture from the Hermanson household. I think we got this thing for two bucks at a garage sale, right? But the reality is, and I've got all these cords on this morning to talk about some of these other realities, there is one place, there is one power source for you and I to go through 
if we want to experience life. In other words, if you want your life to shine, and not just shine so that other people see it, right? But if you want people to experience life to the fullest, life to 11, the only place you're going to find that is God. It's the way that we've been wired. That's universal reality number one. Universal reality number two for us is that there's something inside of you, there's something inside of me that allows us to wander. There's something about us as human beings where we love to do our own thing. Again, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're there right now. I love what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 as he's describing the nature of human beings. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and foolish. Their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and ex exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 25, I love what he has to say. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator himself. Isaiah, a man of few words, just sums it up like this. Isaiah 53, he says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. You see, we're designed to be in this relationship with God, right? But there's something about us, and I can't figure out what it is, other than it's this brokenness that is all the way. I mean, God's story is the only place I can find that explains it. There's this thing where you and I managed to come unplugged. We had life. It was shining through us. It was beaming in the garden. And ever since, and maybe this is where the analogy breaks down, we're partially plugged in. We're kind of plugged in. But often in our lives, there can be finds where our hearts are plugged into the completely wrong thing. And that's reality number three, is that the world is full of places that we can plug into, where we try to replace God, where we try and fill this hunger and this desire that we have, right? These can be things, things that God has given us as gifts that we all of a sudden love more than God. These can be ideas, ideas, stories, things in our lives, things that the world has taught us that God never intended for us to know. But for some reason, we've plugged into these things, and so God wants to come and to unwire us. And maybe it's just a disconnection. Maybe it's not that you've plugged into something else, but maybe you're not interested in being plugged in to anything else. There's a few of them here I just wrote down. I wrote down fear. Right? We've got the, the fear of our day, that it all depends on us. That's another one of the false stories that we plug ourselves into is this idea that the world is fully dependent on us and God somehow needs our help. Or there's the one, the one that I fall into from time to time as well, maybe you do, that it's all about me. And the reality is, again, this is reality number three, is that when we plug into these things, right, maybe they'll light us up for a second, but the longer we're plugged into them, the less that they work. Right? There's no power. These things that we're talking about, these ideas, these things we plug our lives into, what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 1, they're called idols. And idols are like juicy fruit. They're great at first, but they only last for like 30 seconds. And then you're like, why did I put this in my mouth? Right? It's a universal human reality. Don't act like you, has anybody ever enjoyed a piece of juicy fruit for more than two minutes? I don't, maybe one person. Good, you have awesome taste buds. That's not me. 
And what blows me away about this, these idols, is just how subtle it is. How we can get plugged into things other than God and not even realize it. How it's constant, and even when we think we've unplugged, they just keep wandering back. And that's reality number four, is that eventually we realize there are no substitutes. But the way that you and I were created to live was with God, our creator, all the way. Because he designed us, he created us, he's blessed us, he's given us everything that we need to shine our light in this world and to experience life just not in an 8 or a 9 or a 10, but in an 11. And I hear this all the time in people's stories, how they've gone searching for other things only to come up dry. I can relate to that in my own story as a punk college kid trying to figure out who I was. It, literally, no joke, and maybe this was high school, I can remember thinking to myself, because I was just hungry to be loved. If I'm honest, if I'm looking back, my heart was so hungry. And somebody said, well, you need to join the party crowd. I thought that to myself. And I tried that. That didn't work very good. I said, oh, I need to go try out for sports. Came up short there. thought, I need to be the funny guy. That's what I plugged into for a while. Totally didn't work. Then I had this great idea. You know what? I'm going to be the smooth guy. That didn't work at all. That didn't work at all. Until somewhere along the way, and I think it was my sophomore year at UNI, somebody invited me to a Bible study, and they didn't even say, like, hey, try Jesus. There was something about their life and the way that they were plugged in to this energy source, this way of life, this something inside of them that produced joy and peace, right? The fruits of the Holy Spirit, and I said, I want that. And I began to realize over time through many conversations and many Bible studies that I was kind of paying attention in. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one to connect to. And I found myself filled with all these things. And yet as life goes on from time to time, again, I'm amazed how subtly we find ourselves plugging into other things. And Paul was talking about this also in Romans, Romans 7 He's talking about the struggle that he has, the things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing. The things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing, and, and he finds himself in the struggle where the things he does want to do, he can't manage to pull off. And so here we are, here you and I are, plugged into something that will never satisfy us because it was never designed to. What is it for you this morning that you feel like you're plugged into? Are you even aware of the things that you're plugged into. Because if you're not, you can find yourself plugged into something that's never going to bring your life, and it's frustrating. And that's the place where we find our main character in our Bible story for today. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to grab and turn them open to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verse, starting in verse 18 as well. This main character, he's been plugged in to the wrong thing, but he doesn't even realize it. And he's about to find out. And so Jesus entertains him in a conversation, in a conversation that's going to point out some things to him about his life. Verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, talking to Jesus, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When this word eternal life, we think about how do I get to heaven someday, what, what they're talking about here in the eternal life is the day that's going to come when God's going to rule earth and heaven the same way. When you think about heaven, how do you think about that? You think about peace Right? You think about no tears, you think about no pain, you think about unending joy and worship. There's a day that's coming 
that we'll experience that in fullness. But what Jesus is saying and what they've been talking about through this whole Gospel of Luke is that now that Jesus is here, it's beginning to show up. And we don't have to go to heaven someday to get eternal life, but we can begin to experience now. If I could reword this phrase, eternal life, I'd say an eternal kind of life now. He's saying, how can I get an eternal kind of life now? And Jesus has an interesting response. At first, he answers a question with a question. Verse 19, why do you call me good, Jesus says. No one is good except God alone. And it seems like kind of a rude thing to say. My mom always told me, never answer a question with a question. It's good advice. Because people feel like they're being listened to. But Jesus breaks this rule. He says, why do you call me good? Here's what he's up to. Already he's beginning to understand this guy is looking to plug into something. And he wants to pull the plug on the fact that this guy thinks he needs to impress Jesus. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good, which is a little confusing because Jesus is also the Son of God, but he's making the point. He doesn't need to impress Jesus, and so Jesus continues. He says to this guy, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Jesus is saying, you know the usual stuff, the commandments, the laws that have been laid out there, and the guy responds with confidence saying, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And right there is the problem. Somewhere, somehow, this guy's gotten the idea that it's all about him, that it's his ability to live out these commands that has impressed Jesus, that, that's going to bring him joy and unending fulfillment. He's plugged into himself. It's all about him. But Jesus loves this guy too much to leave him at the way that he is. And so he takes him, not just from the life he's living, but he wants to take him all the way to 11. And so he throws down this challenge to him. Verse 22, he says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says, come, follow me. No big deal, right? Just sell everything that you have. Like, I'm sure it's just a little bit of a change in lifestyle. Take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. Does the guy take him up on it? No. Verse 23, we get our reaction. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looks at him and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And some people read this, and if based on their experience growing up, the church talks about money, they say, aha, I knew this is what you were going to talk about. You're trying to take our money. And if you read this passage and you think about money, if that's what you see, then you're missing the point. Yes, God is concerned about money, but he's only concerned about money because it's connected to our hearts. Jesus wants our heart. Again, What's in the other passages in Scripture? How does he talk about how to get eternal life? It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And Jesus is using this example to tell us and to remind us about what it means, what it looks like to come into the kingdom. And it's not just this story. It's a story right before it where he says, let the children come to me. If they're going to come into the kingdom, they have to have this humble kind of trust. 
In fact, Jesus goes so far earlier in, in Luke 18 to say, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There needs to be this humble trust. I was reminded again this week about this humble trust, sometimes the scary trust that kids have. We went to a barbecue last night at some friend's house, and these people are working on building a tree house up in the tree. But all they've got done so far is the ladder up to the tree. And we're at this barbecue. There are kids running all over the place. They're jumping on the trampoline, eating food, doing all this stuff. Whose kids are the kids that wander over and find the ladder up to the tree and climb to the top and start yelling across the yard, Dad, come catch us. We want to jump off the top of the ladder. And this is nothing new for the Hermanson clan. I can, I don't know, it's one of our pastimes. I don't know if they're going to be little skydivers and base jumpers when they get older or what. But as a family, this is a secret you can know about us. We love to jump off things. I can remember in California, we lived out there, we went to this park. No joke, there was a platform at a playground. I don't even know how this was legal. Five feet above where my head was and my daughter standing on the end. There's no railing, there's no guard. And she's saying, catch me, catch me. Right? And she was saying that as she'd already jumped off and I was getting ready to catch her. <laughs> complete trust. Humble, yet complete trust. Complete confidence. And Jesus says to us, even to the rich man, he says, unless your heart is endless. In other words, unless you can receive the kingdom like even these little kids, then you will never enter it. You want to be the church this fall? then it's time to surrender our hearts. And the disciples are wondering if they've got off track. The rest of the passage kind of goes, they ask the question, who can be saved? Because up until this point, money has meant blessing. It's meant God's favor. But he begins to say, and this is one of the few times in Scripture where the disciples actually get it right. They're the positive examples. He says, what is impossible with God, or with, with man is possible with God. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters will fail to receive as many times as much in this age as they will in the next. In other words, God's going to bless our trust and our faith. Why be the church here in Des Moines this fall? Because it's who God made you to be. Because it's what happens when we're plugged into him. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, again, not just how's your heart, but what are the things in your life that you're plugged into? What's keeping you from your next step with Christ? And how do we plug ourselves into the right stories? I love what Paul has to say to his protege, Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, he says, You are a man of God, so run from these evil things, the distractions, the things that we can be plugged into, but pursue righteousness in a godly life, right? We want to run from things, but we also pursue I think we know how to run from things, but what does it look like to pursue God, to pursue the things that we're needing from God to be our, have our confidence and our trust put in Him? And the truth be told this week, it blew me away as I began to think about the things that I'm thankful for. There's something about, no matter how awful your day has been, if you take the time to sit down and to think through the things that you're thankful for, if you pursue what God has given you rather than fleeing or focusing on the things that you don't have, it's amazing how God can turn things around. 
it blew me away this week, and I came across a video clip this week that took it even more. As you watch this clip, think about the things in your mind, not just the spiritual things, not just the things that God has done you, although that's done for you, that's huge. But what are the little things that God has done in your life to be thankful for? As you watch this, think about that. Let's take a look. His love endures forever. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you know this this morning, walking in here. I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be excited about. And if we never take this time to ask how our hearts are doing, if we never take the time to soak God in, to count the blessings that we've been given, then it's so easy to miss it. I took time this week just to write down a few things that I'm thankful for. And I, of course, God gave me some big stuff like my wife and my kids and the fact that I've had that for the last three years, not just one dream job, but I've had two between two of Hope's campuses. But God gave me some little stuff, too. I mean, how cool to be thankful for eight hours of sleep. It's been a long time in the Hermanson household coming that we've been able to get eight hours of sleep and we got this this week. What about the weather? Have you enjoyed the sunsets this week? I mean, is your heart walking through this week with a posture of joy and thankfulness. So many things to be thankful for, but what got me this week more than anything else was just thinking about you as a church and how awesome it's been to be a pastor here for the last three years. I'm so thankful for people in this church that are willing to ask me about my heart, right? They're willing to have the tough conversations. They're willing to tell me when I'm not doing what they had thought that I was going to do, where maybe they thought maybe I was off track a little bit. They love me enough to give me the hard truth. I love and I'm so thankful for the people that built relationships with my kids. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that would let me wear flip-flops when I preach a sermon. There's not a lot of churches like that. I'm thankful for this church building. I'm thankful for all the things that this church has done, but most importantly, I'm thankful how deeply and how passionately this church cares about helping people get the right idea about Jesus Christ and his glory. Last three years have been the best. And I want to say, if you don't hear me again, let me say it one more time. Thank you for all that you've done for me and for my family. David is thankful as well as he writes Psalm 34. And he begins, he says, I'll praise the Lord at all times. But eventually he comes to a point where he says, taste the Lord and see that he is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. He says, fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all that they need. And even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. If you take nothing else away from this worship service today, I hope you take this. That God is good and that he is worth trusting. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand as we continue with communion?